day, everybody, and welcome back to Don't Praise the Machine. This is episode 127. My name is John Maloney, and as always, I'm here with my number one pod brother, Alexander Holland. So while this week on the podcast, I thought I'd open with something that came across my desk in the last few days, and I messaged you at the time and said, this is going to make episode 127 <laughs> pretty easy for me. <laughs> uh, and I know, and I know, I was going to say this, once you've introduced it, I was going to mention that you have, you have specific Google alert, alerts <laughs> set up for very, very specific themes. Yeah. And, You've got one that's set off so sensitive that when a when a hot topic comes through, there's a little alarm in the corner of your house that starts flashing. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's right. This is yeah. going to be a hot topic for John. It's like a detective, you know, Jacinta's trying to sleep, and my I just get a little dinger on the side of the bed and go. She says, what is it? And I go, just go back to sleep. It's, I'll, just, I'll be back in a few she hours. Said, you told him you were off the clock. <laughs> we're going to spend the weekend together. And you, get a, you go, the work doesn't sleep, baby. And then you put, you put, on, your, you put on your gun holster. Exactly. And, you, <laughs> and three my, in the morning. my trench coat. <laughs> then, just, then, just, then just go sit in my study and look up nonsense on the internet. <laughs> And this story is out of the United States of America, like so many stories in the last 50 years or so. And uh, yeah. and um, I think it's a story that gives new meaning to the phrase snakes on a plane. Uh, and it's, mm. um, it's a story that uh, some of our listeners will already be aware of. But for those that aren't, there was a flight that left Atlanta, Georgia, in the United States, a Delta Airlines flight. And it was headed for Barcelona in Spain. But fairly early on in the flight, uh, somebody began to suffer from a gastric, a bit of gastric distress. Um, yes. Which I like because, you know, I, I mean, I think we all go through, those of us who uh, have been lucky enough to be on long haul flights, especially like myself, go through a... Uh, kind of worst worst case scenario in your head about yeah. what might make that flight unpleasant or difficult, <laughs> and probably you would think that a that an attack of explosive diarrhea is right at the top of that list. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, apparently, what happened? And look, I don't know. I haven't been able to find out many details about the woman. So it. It was a woman. Yeah, apparently it was a woman. Because I had originally heard that it was a man, so this is interesting because I was okay. in, I'm interested to hear what you have to say because I got the early mm. reports. Mm. Did a bit of of course, I did a bit of digging and was like I'm such a prick. I was desperate to find the identity of who it was. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I couldn't do it within the first day. Yeah, I had Colin our producer on the on the job trying to get an interview, <laughs> but uh, but the 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 avenues of inquiry went dark pretty soon. I guess when somebody uh, is at the epicenter of this kind of event. There's little to be gained from publicizing yeah. who they are. But basically, um, there were a variety of entertaining accounts of what went on on board, notwithstanding that it was a pretty unpleasant episode for the person concerned. Sure. And maybe it was a man. I don't know. It could have been. Could I, my my sources could be wrong? But basically, uh, people said that. But people, of course. As, as always happens, posted to social media as this was happening, knowing yeah. that it would be 
kind of a big deal. And they described uh, what one of the one of the um, accounts that I enjoyed was uh, a, was a guy whose little brother had been on the flight, and um, and it says little bro headed abroad right now, but his plane had to go back to Atlanta an hour into the flight because someone shit up and down the aisle. <laughs> and then it's. <laughs> And then it says, and then the article in which I read it, for which is a Daily Mail article, said, while other passengers would have been frustrated by the inconvenience, his little brother found the situation very amusing. He wrote, haven't laughed harder than his phone call to me at midnight to explain why he was still in America. He said it was the funniest thing he's ever experienced. <laughs> so he's obviously seen it from that point of view. But basically what happened was, yeah, so about an hour into the flight, uh, somebody had a very serious accident and yeah. I've had the misfortune of, um, I think it might've actually been this little brother who managed to get, as he was exiting the plane, uh, some footage of what had happened. Yeah. I've pretty, seen, I've seen that footage. It was pretty unholy and the, <laughs> the and the, uh, in flight, the crew did, did what they could to basically put, sort of put paper towels on top of it and, <laughs> Uh, scented disinfectant, which one passenger said just made the, the plane smell like vanilla shit. And uh, and then another passenger described the cabin crew placing an absorbent paper runner over the aisle and passengers having to climb over the seats to avoid it as they left the plane when they eventually did. And there was an audio recording of a conversation between air traffic control and the pilot, yeah. which which explained the reason for it. The pilot said... Quote, it's just a biohazard issue. We had a passenger who had diarrhea all the way through the airplane. So they want us to come back to Atlanta. And so they did. Um, they, they had, uh, diarrhea all the way through the airplane. They, they didn't, um, they, they decided to turn around mid flight, obviously. And they landed back in Atlanta. And then what happened apparently was that they, um, left maybe about eight hours later at two thirty in the morning. By that time, the carpet of the original, um, the original carpet from the plane had been ripped out and yeah. replaced and, uh, and it had been fully cleaned. Mm. And, uh, and then another, just another, uh, quite vivid account, a woman known as DW on Twitter or X as it's now known says, says, my partner was on that flight. It was pretty bad. It was dribbled down the aisle, smelled horrible. The vanilla scented disinfectant didn't work. And then she said, but by the time they got on, it was back on, it was fine. And you know, the, the, the new carpet meant that there was no lingering smell. Mm. Uh, so that's, that's that. And I, um, a number of things obviously struck me as enjoyable about this story. Uh, one was that I've, yeah, as I say, it kind of was a manifestation of my worst fears <laughs> on flights. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I've had, um, I've had some pretty unpleasant flights, not necessarily from that perspective, but certainly where I've been like, uh, throwing up, I've had to use the vomit bag on a flight. Yeah, that's um, right. Pro probably only once. I reckon there was once where I've had to use it, uh, which was, I was quite young and we were leaving, uh, far North Queensland, a place called Port Douglas. And, sure. uh, and, um, we were meant to 
fly back to Adelaide, but there was a tropical storm. And so we had to divert to Darwin. And our flight was very delayed, even leaving Port Douglas to get to Darwin, because I think it was a cyclone, actually, that was moving through the area. And so I stayed for several hours with my family at a Qantas lounge in Port Douglas, mm. and I was really getting into the uh, Arnott's assorted biscuits, and I suspect that some of them might have been a bit tainted. Um, and that, coupled with the uh, with the fact that we were then on this uh, flight that was going through a tropical storm was too much for my stomach and I had to fill several bags, wow. which was unpleasant. And, uh, I mean, it was unpleasant for me, but I can only assume much more unpleasant for everybody else who had to witness that. I mean, the, the only thing worse than throwing up is seeing somebody else throw up. And I'll <laughs> get to that because, um, because I looked into, you know, like what's been happening recently because there was a, f- there was a flight, an Air Canada flight recently yeah. where people complained because they were on a very full flight, a very full Air Canada flight, and they went to their seats and there was basically uh, kind of the residue of somebody having been sick on their seats. Okay. And the, and the flight crew said, look, um, you can either just grin and bear it, sit in... <laughs> sit in uh, the, you know, I mean, somebody had attempted to clean it, but it was still very visible and evident. Right. Uh, and, and they said, look, you can, you can either just, just deal with that or you can leave. We don't have any other seats for you. And, uh, and if you leave, then you have to pay for the flight. You're not going to get your money back. Right. They complained that of course Air Canada then reversed its position on, on this and said, look, uh, we apologize. And, um, and this flight, which was Seattle to Montreal, they got a, they got a refund on or whatever. But I was reading an article in the Washington Post about basically picking up on these two stories and a bunch of other stories, which the 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 article said were hitherto unreported but equally unpleasant. And they were saying they were basically addressing this issue of like, is plane travel getting gross? Like, is yeah. it getting more disgusting? And and they had a. A woman called Sarah Nelson, who is the president of the Association of Flight Attendants from CWA International, and she recounted her own story, uh, which is vividly described in the Washington Post article. I'll just go to it briefly. She said um, she was buckled up and ready for takeoff for uh, a flight that went from Chicago to Portland, Maine, with her husband, David, and the plane was full and hot, too hot, perhaps, for the passenger sitting next to them, uh, who just as they were taxiing down the runway, so pretty early in the flight, uh, made an unsuccessful scramble for his vomit bag and then uh, wasn't able to get it out and open in time and just vomited all over the um, plane. She said, the vomit sprayed directly all over my husband, over <laughs> everything and everywhere. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and the article says that his, this incident didn't make headlines and nor did recent experiences shared by a dozen travelers who were interviewed, I guess, by the Washington Post for this article, who talked about uh, coming across, you know, things sprayed on lavatory walls and uh, airplane seats covered with uh, pup, with dog shit in a few cases, which would have been very unpleasant. With dog shit? And yeah, because I guess people bring their like service animals or therapy animals onto onto planes now 
and sometimes they don't behave particularly well. Uh, there was also a traveler who was in first class who soiled themselves on a flight from Minneapolis to DC. And Nelson, Sarah Nelson said that uh, one thing that she's noticed in her capacity as the uh, as a flight attendant and the head of a uh, association of flight attendants is a phenomenon uh, which is called sympathy vomiting. And I'm sure I don't need to explain <laughs> what that is. It's probably some DPTMers who have experienced sympathy vomiting as I've been talking, which is basically like, uh, cha- you know, kind of a, a chunder chain. Yeah, where isn't there? There's up. a famous sympathy vomit scene in Stand By Me, the film. Oh, isn't that's there? right. Yeah. Where the guy's e- doing pie a pie eating, eating competition. <laughs> yeah, that's a great scene. And she, Sarah said there was an all-nighter that she was on from San Francisco to Boston. Uh, and basically about 50 people threw up oh. because it was just a, it was just the mother of all vomit chain reactions, <laughs> which... Which I don't know. I don't really have that problem. So I would have been, loved to have been a fly on the wall of that flight just <laughs> just from an anthropological perspective. <laughs> and so, yeah, there was all this kind of, there's all this, there's all this, um, there was also a guy from a travel website, going.com, called Scott, named Scott Keys. And he said, interviewed by the Washington Post, that there was a famous example of somebody, uh, of a flight in 1975 where there was a Japanese, Japan Airlines flight from Alaska to Copenhagen and 197 people on the flight got food poisoning, which basically struck on the flight, which must have just been like, you know, they're probably experiences that people have had in wartime, which were (laughs) less unpleasant. I mean, it's very common for illnesses to spread very rapidly on cruise ships. There's a, yeah, of course. Um, but of course, on a cruise ship, you've got quite a decent amount of space to run away. Mm. And if you need to... Just go into your cabin. Yeah, or you could purge over the side of the boat, whatever. That's true, yeah. But yep. if you're in the old tube in the sky... Exactly. That's a deep, that's a deep ju- trap. It's a trap. At least if things get really bad on a boat, you can just jump <laughs> off the side and take your chances. You can't even do that on a tr- on a plane. <laughs> I had I had so many questions about this. Uh, it was a Delta Airlines flight. Yeah, John. Yeah, I had a, yeah that's the right. Del- I was I was googling like Delta Delta diarrhea story. More information, please. Into <laughs> into every search engine that there was. I was even yeah, yeah. I was putting it into Chat GPT, even though it, the the data only goes up to two thousand and twenty one. <laughs> Please try, <laughs> come on, Chat. But I'm surprised, and to be and to be honest, I'm kind of I'm quite impressed that they've managed to keep the name of the the identity of the person responsible doesn't mm. appear to be available anywhere on the yeah. on the interwebs at least. It wasn't four days ago. Because I think I, like a lot of people, I just had a lot of questions as in, <laughs> h- how is this? Because I think everybody's putting themselves in that person's diarrhea-filled shoes and wondering, <laughs> wondering, <laughs> wondering like, what what is let? Because I think, yeah, most, I, I guess, you know, you'd feel terrible, wouldn't you, if it was, a, if it was an elderly person or somebody with a disability, yeah. which maybe it is, maybe yeah. that's. Um, but then you'd feel less so if it was somebody okay. who was got a, who got rid of one. So we're all good. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. 
it would be like less so if the person was really intoxicated. Then you'd almost feel yeah. like they should be shame. Yeah, that's shamed. true. That's true. One thing I did pick up, although I wasn't able to find the name of the person involved or any information about them, was that they had reboarded the plane eight hours later. Yeah, so they, with a big bag of Chipotle. <laughs> exactly. They said, yeah, the flight attendant said, I would have expected you to change your pants. But they were I'm eating, they come. just had a bucket of black beans and a liter of Tabasco sauce. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it does make you, it does raise questions about those kinds of issues because I would have thought, I mean, a, yeah, look, I don't know, there but for the grace of God, go yeah. I. But I would have thought you you might be very unlucky not to have time to get to a toilet and uh, or to even get on a plane when you're that sick. The closest I in my circle have come to this kind of scenario is a friend of a friend who I won't name for obvious reasons, Yeah, uh, who was boarding a plane um to his uh, back to his home country in Europe and he was um he was on an international flight and I think he was coming from somewhere in Africa and he'd been there for a couple of weeks and he got uh basically as he was queuing for the flight I no, think he started to feel no. like pretty acutely bad and then got on the flight uh went directly to the toilet and thought after a few moments of what must have been a very unpleasant experience thought i can't leave the toilet and so the the crew started banging on the <laughs> door being like sir we have we have to take off uh you've got to get back to your seat and he was look he was just saying look there's no way that i can leave otherwise <laughs> you have you have the kind of situation yeah. that they had on the delta flight and uh and so eventually they just uh, relented and, and took off, take off. With, with him in the toilet <laughs> and he spent the entire flight in the toilet and then <laughs> just landed, <laughs> landed and walked out. I mean, it must've been you, like, I mean, you'd be sort of praying. I he imagine, just, he just left for a second. He left a tiny little crack in the door so they could just pop a little pillow in there for him. <laughs> You could exactly. just have the trousers around the ankles, but just yeah. doze off, get a few hours is there, Isn't there a headphone jack in here? <laughs> I said, no, we didn't, we didn't really anticipate that. It's... Last week, I was in the supermarket and I was mm -hmm. waiting in the line at the checkout. Now, German supermarkets have not implemented the old self-checkout nearly as uh, readily as other places in the world. And so we still mm -hmm. have a lot of manned checkouts. And so it's not unusual to spend quite a long time in those lines. And typically, right. the supermarket is playing 
pretty trash music and you're thinking, <laughs> yeah. man, this, I mean, I think there are a couple of places in Berlin. I think TK Maxx plays the, TK Maxx sometimes plays music that is so bad. It's, it's like they, <laughs> they're not even paying for real music. They, they've paid for some kind of simulacrum oh, of wow. real music. It's almost like, it's almost like they've paid B-grade artists to do sort of in the style of music. It's so bad. Anyway. Yeah, okay. I noticed that there was a bit of cut through in the music because I suddenly heard the beautiful intro of Dreams by Cranberries. Now, Mm -hmm. it's instantly recognizable. It's iconic. It's gently epic. And man, did it put me in a great mood in the Edeka supermarket line (laughs) as I waited to buy my 20 liters Mm -hmm. of apple cider vinegar, my 40 pack of balls, testicles, and my one can of Dr. Pepper. Now that's... (laughs) That's a winner's shopping list right there. Um, Sure. So I heard fucking I'm bopping my head to Dreams because I love that Mm. song. I think it's such a beautiful song. And every time I hear it, it puts me in a great mood, that song. And it made me think, man, I haven't thought about the Cranberries for a while. I want to see what they're up to. Mm. I I remember that the lead singer had died. She died in January 2018, Dolores O'Riordan. And yeah, I got home. I downed. My 40 bulls testicles with my can of Dr. Pepper <laughs> straight away. That's yep. one meal for me. And, sure. uh, and just, <laughs> just boil them into a paste. <laughs> I, you need the 20 liters of apple cider vinegar to break them down into a paste. And then, and then, and then I have to chase it. I can bear the taste by chasing it with Dr. Pepper. <laughs> so I got home. Jumped straight on my computer after my meal and I went down a deep cran hole, as we call it. And <laughs> yeah. So, well, what, what really struck me was um, a first, cranny, if you will. I went, <laughs> I just, 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 just crawled down a deep cranny. Uh, <laughs> and a few things jumped out at me. The first is that they had way more monthly listeners than I was expecting, which was, which was very encouraging mm. to see actually. So they, they have s- almost 17 million monthly unique listeners what? for a band. I mean, she died in 2018 and they're a, yeah. they're an essential nineties band. Like that's, mm, uh, you know, totally 20 years ago was their heyday. Um, yeah. none of their songs have a billion streams yet. Zombie has 988 million streams so that will be taken over to a billion soon but i knew all five of the top songs and i think maybe you might have as well john so you've got zombie linger dreams as i mentioned ode to my family and sunday which are all great great songs and in fact i wrote this i wrote this somewhere also in my notes like Linger, Dreams, and Sunday are all off their first album, which is just crazy. 1993, to have an album with like three hits that everybody knows that are just Mm. live in the canon of of like radio music is just so cool. But Yeah, that's cool. They are also, check this, they are also, anybody who spent a bit of time on Spotify, you'll know that if you scroll down to the about section of the artist, um, yep. The top artists on Spotify, they get this special little blue circle sticker on their bio and it tells you okay. then what number they come in terms of most streamed artist on Spotify. And the Cranberries oh. are the 380th most streamed act 
on Spotify, which I did not wow. expect. So uh, a lot no. of people will have read last week or two weeks ago, Taylor Swift is the first artist to have crossed 100 million unique listeners per month. So she's number one. Wow. Yeah. But then I was surprised that those crans, those crannies, they're at number 380 in the world. So people all over the world. Wow. We're loving that cranny where's, sound. Where's DPTM on that list, I wonder? <laughs> yeah, they just, just 371. Goes, yeah, it just goes 371, a, a podcast, and then <laughs> and then cranberries. And mm. now what it also made me think, I, it reminded me that I had heard that same song, Dreams, on an Airbnb commercial as part of a social media campaign that was served to me a few months ago. And I remember thinking, uh. I remember thinking that it was kind of unusual that that song yeah. was on an Airbnb ad. But I, yeah. as you know, John, and as some of my DPTMers out there will know, I keep my ear to the ground of the music industry and the trends in the music industry. And so as soon mm-hmm. as I saw, or rather, as soon as I heard that Dreams was on an Airbnb ad, I said, I bet whoever owns the Cranberries catalog, that is the person who will have written all of the music, I bet Mm. that they have sold the rights to the Cranberries catalog or a portion of it to one of this new breed of companies that buys the catalogs of established famous artists uh, for a big amount of money. And then then they exploit the work in their own commercial interest. This is the deal. Wow. And sure enough, I jump on the internet and I go, cranberries, rights, sold. And the first thing that comes up says, January 2021, primary wave acquired majority stake in music publishing catalog of the cranberries uh, lead songwriter, Noel Hogan. So Mm. the majority of their rights now, I believe, is in the hands of this company called Mm. Primary Wave. Okay. Uh, Now, Primary Wave is an... Um, Is it a mom and pop company, (laughs) Primary Wave? It's it's so (laughs) mom and pop, John. You'll love this. It's so mom and pop. It's it's led by its founder and CEO, Larry Mastel. And it's uh-huh. so mom, it's so mom and pop that in 2016, <laughs> uh, after initial it was it was initially founded in 2006, launching with a deal agreed with Courtney Love to acquire 50 percent of Kurt Cobain's song catalog. So that's quite oh, that's quite a while oh. ago. So that's like really pioneering in this field of yeah. these kind of investment firms purchasing music catalogs, mm. and uh, so he built up a, a decent catalog of famous songs, uh, famous catalogs did Mestel mm. in his primary wave, uh, which included, I think up until 2013, he got some of the works of John Lennon, uh, Steven Tyler of Aerosmith. Mm-hmm. And then in 2013, he sold, I think most of or all of that catalog to BMG for 150 million. And mm-hmm. then in 2016, because he's such a mom and pop guy, Mestel, he restarted Primary Wave via a $300 million acquisition fund whose investors were led by BlackRock, mom and everyone's oh, wow. favorite mo- everyone's favorite mom and pop store that's looking out for the little guy, <laughs> BlackRock. Uh, wow. Yeah. And so since 2016, I think this is, yeah, this is from musicbusinessworldwide.com. I got this info. Since 2016, Primary Wave has acquired substantial interest in the song catalogs of icons such as Ray Charles, Bob Marley, Whitney Houston, Burt Bacharach, Smokey Robinson, and the Four Seasons. So it's this interesting mm. new thing that's happening now, John, where basically artists 
who have been working for years as musicians, and we all know that the music mm. industry is changing. People don't make money anymore from music sales. It's all about the rights of your music being exploited in things like advertising, film, what's called right. sync licensing. So all the money is in getting a company, a brand, a movie, a TV show to yep. pay you a substantial amount of money to use your to basically leverage your work to sell whatever product it is that they're selling. And, yeah, okay. And so this is happening more and more and more now that artists who have been around for a little while, and actually some younger artists as well have started doing it as well, is they, mm. they, they make deals with these investment companies and they say, I will sell you my, the rights to my songs. You give me a big mm. one-off payday, I get millions of dollars, and then that investment company or that kind of music rights uh, company then goes away and does its best to exploit the catalog for their own mm. financial gain. It's like a business deal. Yeah. And and it's all premised on the idea that they think they can make more money, obviously, from whatever they've just given you exactly. uh, from your songs. And it, yeah. it, it yeah. frees the artists from having to worry about having to exploit their own music. It's usually, usually they have their own yeah. like publishing company that will help them out. But yep. they can just go like, I can't be asked with this anymore with any of the admin. You just give me millions of dollars right now and you can go away and exploit it. So I'll just give you yeah. some of the names that have done this recently. Some of these are past, so I'm guessing the estate must have done it. But famous artists in the last years that have sold some or all of their catalog uh, to this growing number of companies which are buying up the song catalogs. you got your yeah. main man, Bobby D, Bob Dylan. Oh wow! We got we got Neil Young, yep, Whitney Houston, Great. The Killers, Blondie, Devo. Shout out to my uncle Dave, who I was hanging out with this week in Berlin. Culture Club, Mick Fleetwood from Fleetwood Mac, Red Hot Chili Peppers, David Guetta, Paul wow. Simon, Sting, Bruce Springsteen. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, well, I'm kind of surprised. Like fucking first apartheid breaking, <laughs> and now this. Um. Yeah, wow. So so hang on, these people, once you've done that, uh, I presume, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe you'll know, but you can still perform that music yourself, but you can't, presumably you can't exploit it uh, as you would if it was your own, you know, if you, if you didn't sell off these rights. So like if, if Paul Simon goes, oh, I want to get behind this particular political candidate and play my song at their rallies. Yeah. Maybe BlackRock will say, no, we're not interested in that, actually, because that uh, candidate is against cluster bombs or whatever that whatever <laughs> else we're fucking BlackRock are up to. <laughs> that candidate didn't is is against is against an investment firm buying up all the family homes in America, so we don't want them yeah. to. <laughs> we don't want that. No, I believe the way it would work, John, which is which is interesting. I think they would be free to perform the song. So let's say, for mm. example, you take uh, you take Neil Young, and he mm -hmm. he he's still able to sell tickets to his concerts and perform those songs. But I right. have a feeling that if any of those live performances that he's doing also generate, so he's getting money from the ticket sales, obviously. But yep. in in music that live performance, I think, depending on where he performs. Yeah. So, for example, if he if, if Neil Young played at the Super Bowl 
He'd get yep. paid a fee to play the music at the Super Bowl, but his mm. music that he's playing and that's getting played on television during the Pepsi halftime Super Bowl show, mm. that's also generating a royalty. And I have a yep. feeling that the royalty then that is being generated is yeah, going okay. to like BlackRock. So he gets yeah, he gets okay. the fee, right. but the fee that's generated by the live performance, uh, which yep. is the publishing rights, that's going yeah. now to BlackRock. And he couldn't. He couldn't be like, uh, I'm gonna sell, I'm gonna sell, you know, Neil Young live at the at the Super Bowl. Probably he, they'd say, well, at the very least, we're gonna have a big chunk of that. Correct. Or whatever. I'm pretty yeah, sure that's how yeah. it would work. Yeah. Okay. And I I dabble a little bit in like music publishing myself, and I was speaking. I have like an agreement with a publishing company, and I was speaking to one of. Uh, the people that I deal with, and he was explaining to me that his company is getting less and less briefs asking for new artists because Mm -hmm. I believe what's basically happened is that now that all of these investment firms are buying all of this old music to exploit, I I haven't checked this, but I'm going to assume Mm. that not only is it cheaper now to get this music than it ever was before, because maybe back in the Mm. day, the like in the nineties, the cranberries would have either said absolutely not because that was Mm. in the, that was in like the pre pre selling out was a bad thing kind of day. Sure. Or um, even now they might, it might just be kind of complicated and expensive. They might've said, look, you know, it's going to be really expensive to get a Cranberry song. And yep. now that they've sold their uh, some of their catalog to Primary Wave, and Primary Wave are now, they have no interest in the artistic integrity of these songs. They're now assets that they need to monetize. So they yeah. just basically need to set a price and say, look, could, we can't give you Cranberry. subprime mortgages, could be a fucking Cranberry <laughs> song. I don't <laughs> <Exactly>. care. <laughs> <laughs> So they are going to say, they're obviously going to set a, a good price because they don't want to devalue their asset. They're going to say, yeah, you want cranberries. It's not going to be cheap, but it's going to be yep. cheaper than it would have been 10 years ago because now we're in the business of just mm. flinging this out to anybody that's got the money. So my publishing mm. guy was saying, he's just getting all these God. briefs now that are saying, do you have like any known songs that we can license off you? So they're just, they yeah. kind of expect now to get like a, to get a fucking Paul Simon song instead of a yeah. new artist. So it's just this this other wow. thing that's happening now where it's becoming it's becoming harder yeah. and harder for new artists to yep. to make money from the entertainment industry because everybody just wants recognizable old things that generate that sure. sweet nostalgia. What make you yep. hand over your money to the Airbnb people? And then they go, maybe I'll try my hand at Screenwriting. I get. I bet there's at least an appetite for new stories. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, John. All your old, all your old wow. favorites are all selling their catalogs to BlackRock. Yeah, I, and I mean, Bla- it's... I love that. One, let's get BlackRock on the show. We love a BlackRock. <laughs> yeah, and they go and yeah. Next time, next time you've bloody, peep, you know, you're you've got a supermax prison going up or something. <laughs> you're building some kind of rendition center somewhere that's like off the books or you're fucking making uh, hand grenades in a factory. You can just be listening to Cecilia by Simon and Garfunkel. Um, yeah, it's just going to be on the next Lockheed Martin catalog video. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I mean, that's I don't, surely it's only a matter of, well, I don't know, maybe I'm naive, but there must be 
there must be artists who go, maybe what they tell themselves is, well, this is just how you make money as an artist now. And yeah. so they're not really in a position to say, um, well, you know, like the Cranberries might have in the 90s said, look, this song is really more about uh, getting people to reflect on the troubles. It's not really about um, just kind of selling it like a fucking awful commodity. I mean, it reminds me of like, of artists whose works just, you know, they've put their heart and soul into this work and probably they've been, you know, on the verge of poverty for years of their career or whatever. And then instead of even going to a gallery where it could be enjoyed by people, it just goes into this, you know, kind of temperature controlled vat that some collector has right. because he knows, he knows that it's going to appreciate in value and he just treats it as a kind of, you know, neutral commodity. I mean, that's sort of, that's presumably how these, uh, these companies are doing it, which is kind of sinister. And I know that BlackRock's a huge company, but I do like to imagine that there's like a board meeting where they're going <laughs> through their different, <laughs> different classes of interests and they're going like, Oh, Bob Marley. Great. <laughs> I love, I can love that shit. Okay. What's next? <laughs> Anyway, yeah, how, how are our uh, mercenaries doing? <laughs> <laughs>